In Romans chapter 6, I want you to turn there. We have been in a series on God, covenants, and you. God, covenants, and you. When you begin to realize that the Bible is about covenants, it changes the way you look at the word of God. Seriously. You begin to see things from a different perspective. A lot of the stories that seem to be, you know, well, that was nice, but I'm not sure what it meant. Those kind of stories, suddenly they have profound meaning when you view them in the context of covenant. Even things like baptism, things that you don't normally associate with covenant, all of it begins to make sense, but from a different place. And it's beautiful. It will impact the way that you read the word of God. Even sin, you look at that differently. People talk about sin. Oh, it makes God angry. You're going to go to hell. What God's really upset about sin is that it causes you to miss the mark for your life. And he is in covenant with you. And that breaks that covenant and it breaks his heart. I want to turn to Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. Paul is writing, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died into sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Somebody shout praise God. Amen. <laughs> baptism is a covenant between God and man. And I want to explain that today. Father, I thank you for our friends who are here, the members of this family Inspired church that are incredible. I thank you because you're here. Your presence is here. Thank you for these that have come today and made a commitment to be baptized. That's beautiful. And Lord, if you would help us, give us the grace to teach on this that we might be able to understand how profoundly baptism can and should impact our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. We all grew up with common sayings. We heard all of our lives. And some of them are good and some of them maybe not so good. Here's one that I'm not sure about. Tell me if you've heard this one. What you don't know won't hurt you. I used to believe that. I don't know if at any level that is really true. Generally speaking, it certainly doesn't seem to be. Let me give you an example. If you have a heart problem and don't know about it, does that mean it won't hurt you? If you're asleep and your house catches on fire and you don't know about it, does that mean that you won't be injured? Uh Uh-uh. Of course not. Doesn't mean that at all. The opposite is actually true. 
Not knowing something can cost you big. Big. One of the paradoxes of life is that if you don't know a certain opportunity or benefit exists, it may walk right on by and you never even know it visited your neighborhood. Passed right in front of you. And one of the tragedies in life, now think about it for a moment, is that we often blindly follow those just in front of us because we think they know where they're going. And we want to fit in. Happens in everything. Happens in styles of clothing, styles of music. You probably like certain styles of music because that your friends like certain styles of music. You grew up with it being played. It became a cultural thing, social thing. How about the clothing you wear, the cars you drive? On and on and on. Anybody remember ranch-style houses? That was a dream back when I was a kid. Man, we had a ranch-style house. These days, everybody's pushing for two-story. We had a two-story house, then we downsized. All of our kids moved out, grandkids moved out. We don't have anybody but just me and Jerry in the house now. And that was a big old house. And so we got rid of the two-story and are perfectly content with the one-story. Think about clothing. Some few years ago, three-button suits were the in thing. Guys, remember that? Had to have three-button suits. Two-button? No, that was out of style. Three-button come in, they go out. They come in, they go out. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys hung on to your three buttons? I hope you did. I mean, they can only do so much with buttons on the suit. And they're going to have to go one button, two button, three button, or whatever. Guess what? I pulled it up on the internet before service today. Three button suits are back in. You can go back to your closet and pull them out of the back now. Amen. But honestly, I've always wondered why we allow somebody in Paris that we've never met to tell us how many buttons we ought to have on the suit. They just sit around all day thinking, I wonder how I can get my hands in somebody's bank account. I know. Add a button to a suit. Make that popular. You see, we follow other people. We feel the need to do that because we're social creatures. Many years ago, a famous experiment was conducted with processional caterpillars by the French entomologist Jean-Henri Fabre. And you know what processional caterpillars are, right? That's the kind that follow those end to end. And, and you can put them in a line and they'll just go keep right on going. Or put them in a circle and they'll just keep right on going. And that's what they did. They put them in a circle a few inches away from a stack of pine needles, which is their natural food. And you know what they did? They went in a circle, round and around, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth, until they starved to death with food only a few inches away. People are like that. You follow folk and you're only a little distance from the decisions a few steps away from the right road that will carry you to your destiny, but you're following somebody who doesn't even know where they're going just so you can fit in. 
end to end. Like the processional caterpillar. And all the while, your destiny is being thwarted. It's common in life for people to do this. As I said, we do it in so many things. Including religion. There are a lot of things that go on in a church that folk don't have any idea what they're doing it for. They just do it. Amen. Traditions. Rituals. People don't understand why they're doing that. But that's what the church does. So I'll do it. And there's no power in that. You see, that's why I want to talk about the covenant of baptism. Because many people just get baptized and don't even know why. And it is one of the most powerful things that you as a believer will ever do in your lifetime. Amen. Praise God. Give God a praise for that. God is good. But to receive its full benefits, you need to understand what baptism does for us. And that's because everything in the kingdom of God, literally everything in the kingdom of God is activated by faith. Even your salvation is activated by faith. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess him with your mouth. Healing is activated by faith. Everything in the kingdom of God. And baptism is a covenant between God and man. And God wants you to know what it means and what's behind it. That's the reason for our text. In our text, the apostle Paul felt compelled to inform the Roman Christians of the power they had tapped into as a result of their conversion experience. And apparently many of these Roman believers had been baptized, but remained uninformed regarding what happened in their lives when they were saved. For one thing, their sins had been forgiven and they had gained access to the amazing grace of God. And because they had, they no longer needed, according to this passage of scripture that I'll get to in a moment, to live their lives in sin. They didn't have to. They weren't in bondage anymore. And here's the thing, if you don't know you're set free, you could possibly continue to live as though you were in bondage. And so Paul is trying to tell them that that was the case with them. Some of them were still living in bondage and they had been set free but didn't know it. Long before David Blaine ever got on the scene. You know about David Blaine, of course. How many of you have ever heard the name Eric Weiss? Anybody? Anybody ever hear of his stage name, Harry Houdini? Yes, escape artist. Harry Houdini could get out of any lock you put him in. They would take an iron chest, he would get inside. They would padlock it. Then they would wrap it with chains and put padlocks on the chains and throw it into the river. And a few seconds later, he would come bobbing to the surface. And he would have people do all of that that were not part of his team to make sure there was no trick involved. He became world renowned and he was invited to perform in London, England. So he went to England and there's a prison there called Old Bailey. Maybe some of you've heard of it. It's been there for centuries. Old Bailey named that for a reason. Praise God. I love what I see going on there. Folk getting baptized. Amen. 
And Old Bailey was reputed to be escape proof. And he said, I can escape from Old Bailey. And they put him in a cell and they gave him, I think it was two hours to try to get out, if I remember the time correctly. And he worked and he worked and he worked and he labored and sweated until finally he was drenched with perspiration. And the time ended. And you know what he did? He put his hands on the bars of the prison door and leaned against it in exhaustion. And when he did, the door swung open. Because you can't unlock a door that's already unlocked. And some people live in prison, but do not realize the power that has been given to them or the degree to which they have been set free by Christ. They're still living as though they're in bondage. Amen. When you get saved, God wants you to know your prison cell has been opened. It's unlocked. You're free. You can leave. But this is what God says in Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Notice that it's not lack of effort. It's not lack of going to church. It's not lack of worship, not lack of prayer. It's not lack of activity, lack of serving. It's lack of knowledge. And that's why you hear me say often, you can't get too much to the word of God. You can get too little, but you can't get too much. And the measure of your freedom is determined by what you know, according to this passage. When you look at the Bible, it fits together amazingly well. It dovetails, passage after passage, fits together as though it was tailor-made, and it is. For example, in the Old Testament, we see the types for baptism established way back early on in the first books of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 2, we read about this, and I'll, I'll read it to you in a moment. But in the Old Testament, there were all these types and shadows For example, all of those sacrifices they offered pointed to the coming of one supreme sacrifice. That's the one John looked at and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. And they sacrificed those just as Christ was sacrificed once and for all for our redemption. He was the fulfillment of all of those types in the Old Testament that represented him coming to die in our place and to suffer and take our sins upon himself. Well, did you know baptism is also referred to in the Old Testament era in terms of types and shadows? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2, Paul is writing, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. There it is again. I want you to know this. Because some get baptized and do not understand just how profound that is. He said, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. The cloud, that was that cloud of God's manifest presence that led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And the sea is the Red Sea. Verse 2, all were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When they came out of Egypt, Paul is saying the Israelites were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And that Moses then is a forerunner or a type of the Messiah to the Jewish people. 
And so they were baptized unto him in the same way we get baptized unto Christ in the cloud. That's the Holy Spirit. And in the sea, which is the water of baptism. Now here's what I want you to see. The Israelites came out of Egypt terrified of the Egyptians. They had been in bondage now for centuries. You see, the Egyptians represented the past, the past bondage. Anybody here have a past? Anybody here used to be a slave? Anybody in the building? You've got the scars not on your back, but on your heart. Anybody here suffered, been through some stuff? We don't even want to talk about everything we've been through. Amen. The Israelites had come from bondage. And whenever they came through the cloud and through the sea, this is what Moses said to them in Exodus 14, 13. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And then he said, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them no more forever. Baptism gets rid of the past. Somebody ought to give God a shout of praise for that. Amen. You see, Moses gave them a revelation. He said if they would go through the water and the cloud, something would happen. That their past would be done away with. How many of you have Egyptians that are hot on your trail? How many of you, the past is about to catch up with you? Let me say it right now. If you've not been baptized, you can go get baptized today. We've got robes. We've got towels. And you can get rid of your past and leave it in the name of Jesus by being baptized. God will give you a new start. Hallelujah. God will give you a brand new beginning. Just as he did Israel. Every one of us have had pharaohs and taskmasters in our lives. So the big question is how do we get rid of them? What kind of pharaoh did you have? Dominating your life. What kind of taskmaster used to run your life for you? Well, one young man after the service today told me it was drinking. Alcohol. God set him free. We're praying for him. We'll never go back to that again because these Egyptians you see today, you will see them no more for, shout it out, forever. Come on, let me hear you. What? When will you see them? Never again for ever. What was your taskmaster? Was it drugs? Was it immorality? Was it shame? Was it guilt? Was it embarrassment? Was it failure? Am I talking to somebody in the building today that has been through all of this? I have. But thank God it's not there anymore. I love some of the passages in the Bible that describe our forgiveness. God said he puts his sins behind our back. Where do you have to go to get behind the back of God? Suggesting that he puts them more, not even he can see them. He puts them in the depths of the sea, the Bible says. That means covered by the blood of Jesus. And guess what? Not even the devil can see through the blood. Amen. Oh, bless his name forevermore. 
He said he will remove them as far as the east is from the west. And as you've heard it said before, there's a North Pole. There's a South Pole. But I've been around the world and many of you have also. Never seen an East Pole or a West Pole. Because there isn't one. When he removes them as far as east is from the west. That means they're removed to a place where they can never come together with you again. Amen. They can't find you. If he had put them at the North Pole, they might track you down. Or the South Pole, they might come up and search for you. But from the, as far as the East is from the West, I'm talking to somebody that God wants you to know. They're gone. They're removed by the blood of the Lamb. They're buried. Those Egyptians are not going to find you. God has provided a way to shake off your past and be free from your taskmasters. That's by giving your heart to him and being baptized. Many people don't see the need to be baptized, but this is exactly why you should. None of us were born and lived perfect lives. Oh, I know you're good. And your mama said you were the best thing on the planet and all that kind of stuff. That was years ago. She's changed her opinion more recently. (laughs) I'm just joking with you. Baptism means, Lord, I'm placing my sins forever under the blood of Christ. And I'm trusting you they will never surface ever again. As an explanation of our text, in verse 6, Paul tells the Roman Christians there's something. He says, I want you to know. He feels it's essential that they grasp this. Listen to what he says, Romans 6, verse 6, the A clause. Knowing this, that begs the question, knowing what? Well, look, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, you know what that means? It means to live spiritually, you first have to die to sin. And that's what repentance is. That's the sorrow where you say, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I don't want to live that way anymore. It's dying to self. And self-denial isn't always a popular concept in this me-centered world where I'm right and the world is wrong. We all need to come to that point. But then the question that needs to be addressed is, what do you do with the old body of sin that just died? You ever think about that? What do we do with that old man, that old nature? That old person that committed all these wrongs and grievances against God that Paul refers to. In verse number four, Paul tells us that we get rid of that body by being buried with Christ through baptism into death. That's why baptism is so vital. You don't want to carry that dead body around with you for the rest of your life. True story. Maybe some of you have seen these tides that I'm about to refer to. My family and I did. I preached throughout Canada and way up north in the Bay of Fundy and in places in Europe that correspond to that. They some of the, and in Alaska, they have some of the highest tides in the world, over 40 feet. And man, the tide goes out and it leaves the shoreline and way out into the ocean. The sea is in the distance. And then it comes rushing back in in a short while, 40 feet and more. I've watched that. It comes charging back in. 
true story of a man who murdered someone up north and he lived near one of these tidal bays. So his plan was to take the body far out at low tide, drop it, and then come back to shore. It was the dead of winter. So there was nobody along the shore. He took the body, put it on his back, tied the arms around his neck because they would just flop loose. And then he took the legs and wrapped them around himself and he piggybacked the body as far out into the ocean on the tidal flats as he could. But he wasn't paying attention. And he heard his feet sloshing in water and looked down. It wasn't just a little pool he was going through. The tide had started coming back in. And the man realized what that meant. He thought, oh my God, I got, I've got to get rid of this body. He wanted to carry it far out. So when the tide went back out again, it would probably carry it out into the ocean. So he undid the rope, stood there for a few minutes fumbling with the rope. By now, the man on his back, the dead man was stiff with cold, frozen, and in rigor mortis. And he finally got the rope untied and he tried to pry the arms loose and the legs loose and he could not. And all the while the tide is rising around him and he panics and he starts struggling to get back to shore. And they found him. The tide came in and washed both of them up on the beach and the dead man was still wrapped around his back. You need to get rid of the dead man. Get rid of the dead man on your back. Somebody in the building say amen. And that's what baptism does. Baptism will let you get rid of the past in the name of Jesus. You can leave it under the waters. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4 and 22 says that that you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So baptism is the barrier, burial of our old sinful nature. And that's why we, incidentally, that's why we immerse. The word baptize means to submerge. Amen. And then you know what happens? You rise to walk in newness of life, just like Christ got up out of the grave. Oh, praise God for that. Hallelujah. Bless his name. You not only leave the dead man behind, you get to come out a new person, clean and pure. You don't have the stain of sin on your life anymore. You say, why are you preaching this? Because like Paul, there are probably people sitting here today who got baptized and didn't even really understand the power of it. And again, everything in the kingdom is activated by faith. So baptism is actually more than a burial. Baptism is coming up to walk in newness of life. Amen. And when we rise up out of the water, we're coming up as new creations of God. Romans 6 verse 4, the B clause. Listen to what Paul said, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. Ephesians 2 and 1. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And so I'm already about to close. Baptism is a spiritual transaction. 
And if you haven't been baptized yet, they're still going on and back there in the back. We got changing rooms. We even brought in a trailer so people could change. We have robes. If you didn't bring any, don't sweat it. We got it. We got towels. Head on back there and you can get baptized. But when you get baptized, it is a spiritual transaction recognized and sanctioned by heaven. It is a covenant between you and God. And this is the way the covenant goes. I'll take your sins and I'll give you my new life and you represent me from this day forward all he asks is that you do your best to live for him there's nobody perfect and so then this question needs to be addressed who should get baptized Matthew 28 19 Jesus speaking go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You get that? Everybody. Everybody. In fact, it's so important. He said, don't just do it here. Go into all the world and do it. In Acts 2 and 38, then Peter said to them, repent and let, shout it out with me. Every one, say it. Repent and let, of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I love that. When you get baptized, you have a promise from God that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now here's a few questions that people ask. Sometimes ask, Pastor, I was baptized and then I had a lot of things go wrong in my life. I messed up. It was me. I blew a marriage up, blew a life up, did all kind of crazy stuff. And now I'm making or I have made a new commitment to God. Should I be rebaptized? Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves you. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. You're not getting baptized because you need a bath. But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter said that it's a matter of a good conscience toward God. And I've had people tell me, Pastor, I really feel like I should be baptized. If that's you and you blew it, that's okay. We've got robes, we've got towels. Nothing wrong with you getting rebaptized and making a fresh start. Or somebody else might argue, but theologically, they don't have to. We're not talking about have-tos right now. We're talking about a good conscience toward God. I want a new start in life. I want a place to begin all over again. I want to hit reset. Amen. There are other questions people ask too about whether or not they should be rebaptized. Here's a common one. I was baptized when I was young and I didn't understand what I was doing. My friends went and got baptized, family members. I was all, you know, completely caught up in that. Now I'm older and I look back and I realize I don't really understand what it was that I did. I just know they put a robe on me and ducked me under the water and handed me a towel and I didn't even hear what they said. I was under the water when they said it. Should I be rebaptized? Should I get baptized again? Once more, I refer back 
to the previous question and its answer. Baptism is a matter of a good conscience toward God, but it is also important that you understand what you're doing, and that's the reason I'm preaching this, because if you don't know the door is unlocked, you can stand there and hold on to the bars all day long and and shout, somebody help me, somebody get me some deliverance, somebody help get my life free. When really the door's unlocked, amen. And this is the way I feel about it. You say, well, does that mean then that that children should not be baptized until they're older. No, 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 please don't think that. If your child feels moved by God and wants to get baptized, I mean, a beautiful young lady, 10 years old this morning came up to me, or almost 10. She said, Pastor, uh, they, uh, they're going to allow me to begin to serve in the ministry. Wow. And her face was glowing. She said, I wanted to last year, but they said, you're eight. It's a little bit too young. Man, you know what my feelings are regarding baptism? It's when your child wants to pursue God, do everything you can to encourage that. Be the wind in their sails. Take them by the hand and lead them. Amen. You say, but they might not fully understand. It's okay. We'll cross that later. Get over that bridge after a while. We'll deal with that later on. But who knows? They might. I'll tell you this. Listen up. Gangs don't mind recruiting them when they're young. The drug dealer will sell them drugs when they're young. Why are we going to stand in their way and block them when they want to come to Jesus? No, baby. Come on. I'll go back there with you. I'll help you. We'll move forward as a family together. Hallelujah. Praise God. We don't want to lose them and have to try to win them back. So if they're hungry for God, let's do everything we can to encourage that. Even if, and I offer this caveat, and this is genuinely the feelings of my heart. Even if later on they say, you know, I'm not sure I understood what was going on. Dad, mom, can I get baptized again now that I'm an adult? I'm married, I've got my own kids, or I'm a teenager and just got out of high school and going to college. I, I really feel like I need to understand it better. I'd say, sure, I understand that. And so the question is, if you fail God and you really mess up, you blow it big time, you're out of church, you're embarrassed, and you come back to Christ and you just feel all of the weight of that, and it's humiliating to you and you want to get rid of it, is there anything wrong with being rebaptized? No. No, if a child wants to be rebaptized when they're older, let them. Amen. But if they want to get baptized when they're young, don't stand in their way because I promise you there's an enemy out there that'll take them any age he can get them. Amen. Praise God. And the final question is, Pastor, I was baptized because of the emotion. But now I've made a firm decision years later. I, I got baptized a long time ago. I was swept up in the emotion of it. And a long time ago, I got baptized. And, and you know, now I'm older. It didn't change my life back then. I went right back to doing the same stuff. Got out of the emotional environment and context of the church or the revival service or the special guest or, or whatever it was, the worship service, prayer encounter, whatever. I got out of that context and I went right back to doing the same stuff I'd always done. 
But now years later, I'm older, I'm wiser, I've made a decision. Y'all remember that song? I'll follow Jesus. Amen. And I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Can I get baptized again? Because I know what I'm doing now. And it's not emotion. I have made a decision. I am a child of God. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And I'm serving notice to the devil out there. I'm a child of God from this day on. I've made up my mind. No turning back. Can I get baptized again? You know what I would say? I would say refer to the point I made a while ago. It's a matter of a good conscience toward God. Yes, if you feel that that would be beneficial to your experience. Why would I, as your pastor, want to stand in your way? I hope that explains the position that I I have taken during the years toward baptism. Because it is one of the single most significant things you will ever do. And I bless God for all of those coming back in that have been baptized and look at it. that They're still going on. So if you want to be baptized, don't let this service end. Did I mention we've got towels and robes? Amen. Did I mention we got folk back there ready to baptize you right now? Praise God. Somebody give the Lord a praise today. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name. And so baptism is not just a meaningless ritual of the church where you identify with the church and membership. Paul says it's much, much more than that. And I quoted to you from his teaching in the book of Romans, but it's not the only place. There are numerous other passages in the scripture that teach us as well. Stand with me, please. Amen. I want our prayer counselors to please come and take their places. And let me tell you the good news before I open the altar service. I want you to listen. When people are getting baptized and giving their hearts to the Lord, do you know that is the single greatest miracle, the miracle of conversion is the greatest miracle that could ever happen in anybody's life? Think about it. You were lost in sin. You become a child of God. What kind of miracle is that? It's the biggest one that will ever happen to you. Oh, I thought, I thought being healed if I was lame was a big miracle. Oh, I didn't even come close to being saved. And he puts his DNA in you and you become his child. Woo. Now that is a miracle. And your sins are gone forever. That is a miracle. Now, I mentioned that because there's a story in the Bible where one time they brought a man that could not walk into Jesus. And Jesus, remember this? Gospel of Mark. Jesus looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees said, what? Who does this man think he is trying to forgive sins? Nobody but God can forgive sins. And Jesus like, yeah, that's the point. Who you think I am? <laughs> you think I'm Mary's kid? That's all I am? Hey. But then he said this. 
to show you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, take up your bed and walk. And the man leaped up. He had been paralyzed and unable to walk. Proving that Christ forgives sins. But did you see what the greater miracle was? Sins are forgiven. Your sins. Yeah, you. Your sins are forgiven. And then to prove that that was the harder miracle, he said, now as far as the condition of lameness, take up your bed and get out of here. Go on. Because the biggest miracle in the world is to have your sins forgiven. Now, why am I saying that? It is because when people are getting baptized and they're making the covenant of baptism and they're being saved, you are in a supernatural atmosphere whether you realize it or not. Somebody give God some praise in this house. And anything, anything, Anything can happen in that kind of an atmosphere. A lame man got up and walked in the atmosphere where forgiveness was occurring. I just this morning had Consuelo testify. She was standing right over here. Consuelo, would you happen to be in this service too? My God, if you are, I'll have you testify again. She had, as a prayer counselor in the first service. And she had ovarian cancer and went through chemotherapy, lost all her hair, suffered chemotherapy. They're basically killing you to try to kill cancer. People who go through that suffer so much, bless their hearts. If you ever get the feeling like life is unfair to you, drive down to MD Anderson. Just walk into the lobby and sit down and watch people come and go. It'll make you change the way you feel about your own life. She recovered from the, the, the ovarian cancer. And then she was diagnosed with bladder cancer, she told us this morning. And you know what happened? The doctor did MRIs. She was prayed for by Brother Rodney and Sister Carla, our prayer pastors. And I guess the whole pastoral prayer team prayer counselors and so forth and you know what occurred when she went in her specialist looked at the MRI and this is what she said this never happens and we don't know how to explain it but the cancer is gone in somebody give God some praise in this house My Jesus can do anything, anything, anything. You are in the presence of the supernatural right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've known people receive their healing, known of folk that have actually been healed, getting baptized. Chronic illnesses disappear. Not going to say that's going to happen for everybody. Not even suggesting that. He's God. I let him handle the God end of it. Yeah.